Hello, and welcome to the first installment of The Nerd Herd. We would like to thank Raymond Dijwadi for that great opening song. I'm Nick Aden, one of your hosts, and I am accompanied by my fellow co-host, Patrick Cranley, Justin Tyler Darwin. Today we have a great first episode for you called The Pilgrimage to Trail Famador, including segments about the lack of information about certain events in American history, including our special guest, Mr. Pazin, followed by a literary analysis of chapters one through three, and then a discussion about dishonesty in media. All of this is coming up next, starting with the segment about lack of information about certain events in American history, after the song Secrets by One Republic. Okay, let's start off our first segment about the lack of information about Dresden. Um, what, made, what made us really think about this was uh, the one quote from Vonnegut on page 28. Vonnegut. It, was, uh, it wasn't a famous air raid back then in America. Not many Americans knew much, how much worse it had been than Hiroshima, for instance. I didn't know that either. There hadn't been much publicity. So we started to think about that and we figured a great person to talk to about that is our very own U.S. history teacher, Mr. Pazin. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for know, helping us out. People that know a lot about this stuff couldn't make it, so I'm trying to fill in. So what, uh, what can I help you with? Uh, yeah, so just what's your take on certain events in American history kind of not being publicly displayed, like this Dresden incident? It obviously puts like a bad image on American like history. So like, are there other events that you have examples of that America kind of tries to hide and are just like, why we do that? Well, I, I think um, there's a number of reasons, I think, why it, there's not a lot of information on certain topics. Either, you know, it could be it's a topic of, of little interest and so there's, there's little that is researched. Um, I think it could be that there is, you know, potentially a lot of interest, but the, drumming that up might be, you know, might be cause for concern, or it could be, you know, kind of along those same lines. There's, there's interest, but it, it's there's there's controversy surrounding. Yeah. It, you know, um, like to go back to what you said with with you know with, with Dresden, um, it's you know the damage that was done, people that were killed, and and how the U.S. did not you know, was not portrayed in a great light. And, and, you know, you could you could say a bunch of different things about that. Um, if you look at, you know, like I said, things that would cause problems uh, one way or another, you know, like the Kennedy assassination, for instance, you know, yeah. there's, um, it's a topic that's been widely researched and widely talked about, but here we are, we, we still don't have answers um, on something like that. And it's, it, you know, and then you could, go back to, you know, all the way back to Pearl Harbor and, and things like, well, did, you know, did the government know? It's always the, you know, the yeah. the quintessential question about Pearl Harbor that you could tie into 9-11 is did they know, did they need something to happen in order to go further with that? So there's a lot of different reasons why uh, there's, there's not information, and usually it's, you know, of those things that I said. So with, like, kind of those topics, just to kind of get off the tangent here, like, for 9-11, do you think, it was an inside job by the government that like and they just won't release in, enough information about it or I, you know in the position that I'm in I, I, I try very hard to just present the facts and have students kind of figure it out for themselves and, and, and create their own opinions um, that said I think like that and even like Pearl Harbor if you take the two epic events one from the 40s one from the early 2000s that define those generations um, I think in both cases they knew something was up 
they knew that something was was potentially going to happen and they just didn't know where or when and so did they have information that, that something was in the works I, I I think to a degree yes and I think in, in both cases you know we we you know with, with Pearl Harbor we talked about that in class you know a week or so ago did they know that something was going on yes did they know when no um, you know and so the conspiracy theorists are there and whenever you know whenever there's something that's not a hundred percent answered concretely that's where conspiracy gets in and, and whenever you work time into that that's where it can potentially you know run into problem where you have all these different theories and then going off of something that you just said you said like you want your students to find the information for themselves but like for topics like Dresden do you think students have enough information available to them to make the right like decisions about these events and like have the right beliefs like and yeah, be able to the, see the yeah, right in the book for the book for our class mm -hmm. there was only like it wasn't really that much about it yeah you know, like, yeah and that's a very good point there's not a lot and and you know even even myself, it's not a topic that I know tons about, admittedly. Um, you know, with that, with something like the Holocaust, where was the U.S. aggressive enough in, in trying to free the Jews from the camps, you know, as, as opposed to like, well, when we win the war, they'll be freed, and there's, there's debate on that. And because there's not a lot of information to steer it back to where you need to go with this, um, you know, that's where is the government you know, people say the government's trying to hide it, they don't want to, you know, and yeah, they don't want to put that up there. It's, it's this real bad kind of dark moment potentially in American history, yeah. and, and this is what we did. And so therefore, it's not as aggressively, um, you know, kind of tackled by a lot of people because of the opinion of a lot of people, it was, you know, a bad moment. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like Germany and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. probably, oh, for sure. Yeah, with, no. with um, you know, with that, should could the U.S. have done more? Could the U.S. have, have gone more aggressively into trying to free those people? Could they have taken in more refugees? Um, you know, there's answers to all of those. The administration wanted to do this and this and this. They wanted to end the war quickly and save everybody potentially. But um, there's also the reality that more people died because of it. Yeah, like, also in our class, uh, in Honors U.S. History, I'm pretty sure, like, we either just got done talking about Dresden or, like, or, like, it was m mentioned. I think in I showed the picture yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah, so I thought... Like, it was just, like, a little, like, paragraph of it, and there's, like, no other information on it. And, like, and then a couple of days earlier, like, we had learned about how, like, uh, Mobile, Alabama was becoming, like, one of the war cities, and, like, how they were depicting Mobile as, like, this great, like, uh, great factor in helping the war, just like all the other cities. And it's, like, maybe the reason that, like, we don't know about so much of these things is because, like, the USA wants to maintain the reputation as, like, the good guys, the heroes. And, like, when we do something bad, like Dresden, which obviously wasn't, you know, on a moral standpoint, like, very, like, good in any way, killing, you know, thousands of civilians, really. Um, like, the USA probably just tries to hide information from the people that, like, you know, they don't want them to know because it might make them look bad. And I, it's, those are all good points. I think with World War II, it's such a vast topic and it's such an involved and complex thing that affects not only American history but world history and in a setting like in a high school classroom you know you only have X amount of days to the schedule to do it and um, you kind of have to pick and choose and so you, you show things from the US perspective here's what's done here here's what's done here here's what's done here and and yeah there's not traditionally a lot of focus on that topic you know there there is we know more about the atomic bombs, you know, hey, they did it to 
end the war quickly to save American lives, and there's room for debate whether they need to do that. Um, but, you know, does, in a U.S. history course, are, are certain things talked about more and certain things talked about less? Yeah, I think you yeah. can make that. I think that's kind of decided by, like, uh, how a lot of people judge history from the past with sort of, like, today's, like, sort of standpoint, yeah. or like, mental standpoint, and they just think sort of think of things like, uh, they don't understand that, like, people used to think about certain things differently, you know? For sure. You know, For sure. All right. Like so this has been a great discussion about how the United States has been, like, hiding, can hide certain information, doesn't uh, preach as much about certain events in American history. It's definitely an interesting discussion, whether or not they're doing this on purpose or just, like, in classes we don't have enough time. But it's definitely important for all our listeners to remember to examine each topic, try to find as much as you can on it, and if something like bothers you, find out more information about it, and just make the best like decision and uh, fight for what's right in the world. And just if you see something, it's you don't always have to accept it right away. Just do the best research you can to make the best decisions. So thank you, Mr. Pazin, for joining thank us today you, on our thank podcast. You, Mr. Thanks for uh, having me. Next nope, time, bring some no food. Guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. So our next segment will be our literary analysis of chapters one through three after "What's on Your Mind" by Information Society. All right. So now it's time to move on to the our literary analysis of chapters one through three. So what do you guys think about the? change in viewpoint from chapter one to chapter two and how it changes from like directly addressing the reader to getting right into the action with Billy Pilgrim. Yes so in chapter one uh, Vonnegut actually has like his personal take on it it's in first person he talks about his like journey about writing the book and the challenges he had and like what it took to be able to write this book but then in chapter two he starts like the story of Billy Pilgrim and just the discussion on Billy Pilgrim's life and how that went out. So on page 51 in my book, here's a quote of the transition. The next one I write is going to be fun. This one is a failure and had to be since it was written by a pillar of salt. Begins like this. Listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. So that just shows that transition he's making into this from chapter one, his own personal take on writing the book and the actual book itself, and which kind of starts in chapter two. I was kind of wondering why that like really even mattered because I didn't really think it really affects the story as far as I've read so mm-hmm. so far. But uh, and I'm trying to understand exactly like why he did that. Well, and I, I guess think it's like good to know like what it took to like get him to even be able to write this you know American classic. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the point of view in the f- first chapter it could also be like. Uh, discussed whether it was written like before or after the book because yeah. you don't really know uh, what you're going to be writing about. Like he can't reflect on what he wrote about uh, like before he wrote everything. So it's kind of interesting that the possibility he wrote the first chapter of the book. Last. Yeah, it's like kind of interesting of like why he did that. Like it's almost like he finished the book and then he was like, well, I feel like you know the reader should know what my journey was or like something like that you know he even like the reason that like this theory of like him writing this first chapter after the book holds up is because like on page 53 he says the friends of Seymour Lawrence call him Sam and I say to Sam now Sam here's a book which is like you know that's in the first chapter but you know it's not like he had the entirety of the book written 
as the first chapter was completed. So he must yeah. have like gone back uh, to finish it. Yeah, I think that's definitely a really interesting topic of like examining the point of view change from chapter one to chapter two, and it'll be interesting to see if anything else changes throughout the book. Like if he breaks, well, he does break it in uh, chapter three, also mentioning himself. But that's yeah. another discussion. Uh, just, and now we'll move on to a discussion about the use of time travel in the book. So just another interesting aspect uh, Vanya puts in his book right here is jumping time periods. I so. think he uses that to sort of foreshadow events. So obviously now that we know that he, that uh, when he talks about Billy Pilgrim that he survives being a POW and things like that, and then uh, it sort of describes his journey, I feel like as we continue to read, maybe some of those things that we read in the fu- like from the future, and then when we jump back, mm-hmm. we'll understand like why he maybe do, does some things in the future, and then it's like sort of that moment where we're like, oh yeah, now I get it. Yeah, so I feel like, like that with the use of time travel. When you see like the stuff he's doing in the future, like uh, his like crazy stories that he's trying to tell, you could see that it's the result of his like PTSD mm-hmm. experience during the war. And then when he jumped back to the war time, like when he was actually fighting in Dresden and around Dresden, you could see that it was the time period where he experienced those traumatic events that might affect him. And then just an example of three time changes right in a row to start off chapter two, uh, the Vonnegut states, he walked through a door in 1955 and came out another one in 1941. He, uh, He has gone back through that door to find himself in 1963. So that it shows like the constant change in like time periods. And And you know what I I thought was weird? Was he, uh, how he knows, Billy knows that he's switching throughout time. Like uh, when he says Billy uh, on page 53 in my book in the beginning of chapter two, uh, it says Billy is spastic in time, has no control over where he's going next and the chips aren't necessarily fun. He is in a constant stage of fright, he says, because he never knows what part of his life he is going to have to act in next. Well, the thing is, like, Billy has been, like, doing these, like, time jumps all of his life, with the first one being uh, when he was walking with uh, his war buddy. But, like, it's when the Trout Famidorians picked him up that he began to, like, understand these, like, time jumps and, like, what they were actually happening to him. So, like, I thought that was interesting how, like, they were always happening to him, but... Um, you know, the Trial Famidorians helped them understand. And speaking of Trial Famidorians, what do you guys think of their symbolism to the story and what they mean to Billy as well as, like, what they could be interpreted to as outside of the story? Uh, well, for all those listeners out there, I'll get you a little bit of description of, if you guys haven't read the book about the Trial Famidorians. Um, Bonnegut writes that... Uh, Bonnegut. Bonnegut writes that the letter said that they're... They were two feet high. They were two feet high and green and shaped like plumbers' friends. Their suction cups were on the ground, and their shafts were, and their shafts, which were extremely flexible, usually pointed to the sky. At the top of each shaft was a little hand with a green eye in its palm. The creatures were friendly, and looked like they could and and they could see in four dimensions. And to be honest, when I think he uh, he has Vonnegut, Vonnegut has uh, Billy Pilgrim sort of like like enjoy these creatures so much and sort of think about them so much is because I think he uh sort of relates to them because as it says that they see in four dimensions and Billy Pilgrim also like he traveled up and down in time and they could they were like handled time like that and so he kind of related to them to them in that way because he was they were able to understand like 
what he meant when he was talking about this. And most people, who if they heard him talking about it, just jumping at random points in time, they think he's crazy. And, uh... Is that your interpretation of, like, the singing of fourth dimensions thing? That's why I think he has. That's why he connects... That's why Billy is so connected to them. And I think the symbolism is that they're just sort of a higher form of life. And that they... Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Because um, I feel as if the Trial Madorians are, like, Billy's way of coping with, like, religion and uh, a form of higher power. Because um, it says on page 87 that uh, Billy wasn't a Catholic, even though he grew up with a ghastly crucifix on the wall. His father had no religion. His mother was a substitute organist for several churches around town. So despite growing up around, a, like, a religion and Catholicism, he didn't really, like, connect with it because of the crucifix and, like, being just, like, brought to, to normality with, like, this religion. So when he had this possible experience with, like, a higher power, he didn't know how to interpret it because he didn't really feel connected to Christianity or another religion. So he interpreted it as, like, the Tralfamadorians. And, like, these are the people that have higher life, and this is his way of, like you know, dealing with religion. I feel like Vonnegut might be connecting in this way, saying, like, maybe all these sort of religions that we all think of, it's not like we thought of these ourselves. Yeah. They were from thousands of years ago. Christianity's been around for thousands of years. And, you know, so maybe something, maybe it's not how we've always thought. Maybe the our, like, higher power that we it's all like just think of it's, it's, it's in something we have no, it's like it's not what or it's like just as crazy he's like making fun yeah. of religion I think the big thing from the Trafalgar Dorians it's basically the point of like all religions I feel like he's trying to symbolize is that we're just trying to escape death and we're trying to make ourselves feel comfortable with death and I feel like through the Trafalgar Dorians that's how Billy Pilgrim's like being comfortable with death because he says like they don't care about death like he says in text he says I simply like when they're talking about uh the text states, now when I hear myself say that someone is somebody is dead, I, sh- I simply shrug and say what the Trail of Hamadorians say about dead people, which is, so it goes. So he's trying to act like he doesn't care about death, just to, like, escape this reality that all humans have to die, which could be the symbolism of, like, all religion, that we need something to cope with the fact that we're all going to die one day. And I feel like this is just Billy's escape from reality and just him being able to cope with having to die one day. I I feel like it could also be, like, kind of going back to, like, I think what Darwin said about, like, how, like, it's commenting on, like, the world religions of, like, how, like, at face value, like, if you don't understand it, like, they seem crazy. Like, when you think about it, like, a big man in the sky who, like, mm-hmm. decides to get into, like, heaven or hell, like, at face value, that's, like, that's insane. But, like, once you get to, like, a deeper understanding of it and you actually, like, know how to interpret, you know, everything that comes along with it. It can be, like, you know, you begin to understand it. And that's what Billy is at this point right now, where, like, it seems crazy to everyone else, but, like, to him, he understands that he, like, was enlightened. So maybe that's going to be what, like, uh, Vonnegut's saying, that, like, religion is actually just, like, really crazy. But, like, the people who understand it, like, you can't knock them for it. Basically, everything you don't understand is kind of crazy. Because, like, people who are religious, people could be Catholic, and then they see, like, a cult or something like that, and they think it's crazy. But to be honest, like... From an outside point of view, it's kind of like they, they it's just a form of, it's just a new way of thinking and it's just, since it's different they see it as weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like it's sort of just like people Christians seeing yeah, Christians seeing uh uh Muslims and stuff like that, they think of it as different. So. Yeah, I think the 
Trail Famidorians will have a big impact throughout this whole tax because Billy Pilgrim seems really invested in them. And they're an interesting like part of the story to like go into and Especially this is what makes this story travel. unique. So uh, that was a great discussion on what we think like the literary analysis portion of chapters one through three. There was a lot to examine. Uh, okay, so next we will have our segment on the dishonesty in media after this song Ooh Ah. Um, My Life Be Like by Grits featuring Toby Mac. God. Okay, now our final segment is going to be about uh, whether we think it's the, the ways of many reporters is uh, right or wrong. So we're going to talk about a uh, part of uh, Vonnegut's life where he was, uh, he had a, a female reporter tell him in order to get a statement from a, uh, a woman who was husband who recently died. And uh, in order to get the statement, he was told to... Uh, on page 27, it states, tell her you're Captain Finn of the police department. Say you have some sad news. Give her the news and see what she says. So I did. She said she said about she said about what you would expect her to say. And there was baby and so on. So what we were wondering, where we're going to talk about is whether we think it's right or wrong to sort of lie in order to get personal information from people. Because I felt like this was... This was I felt like it was kind of wrong, you know, to lie to the person, and they were the person, and they gave the girl the news that her husband had died, and all just to get something that they could put in the paper. Yeah, but from a reporter's perspective, it's really hard to get a story after like a traumatic event because people, it's really hard for them to write about a traumatic event because people don't really want to share their stories about these traumatic events, so they still have a job to do, and they need to get a paper out, they need to get an interesting story out. So sometimes they might have to tell those lies to get the story out, and maybe that's not morally correct, but they still have their job to do, and if this is what it requires to get a good story out and for them to do their job well, to like support their family and like stay with the company and be writing great articles, uh, then that might be just what they had to do, and whether or not it's right, that might be up to debate, but they probably still have to do it. I don't know. I, I just don't, I really think what Vonnegut did especially was extremely immoral because like lying to somebody just to, you know, get some like extra flair for your article of like the dead man's wife, it um it was I think that's like very wrong to do just to like lie for simple entertainment purposes because this isn't really a story at least in the the example given in the book this isn't really a story that was like like everyone needed to know it was simply like something to attract more readers so like on something like this where like a reporter sacrificing like their integrity like for lying by lying I don't I don't feel that's like an appropriate thing uh any any reporter that has to lie in my opinion is isn't really like you know the best I feel like it depends on sort of the uh the situation because you know I felt in this case I thought it was kind of wrong because this girl, this girl's wife, this girl's husband just passed away, and you know I think he kind of she uh he they uh that he should have respected her opinion or her feelings and like her mm-hmm. what what like she should have gave him time to grieve, or he should have gave him her time to grieve, and then uh, but I feel like in other cases like I mean maybe finding like trying to like uncover like a huge conspiracy or like a scandal from a corrupt politician or something like that in order to get the story out because that's obviously a story that's like. One person is doing something really immoral, and then I feel like maybe do maybe lying a little bit can in order to help prevent whatever that 
person is doing doing wrong to to come out, I feel like that's kind of worth it. But I feel like in this situation, I didn't think it was really right. Yeah, along with the politics aspect of what you were just talking about, like if you're trying to get something out of a politician that could like greatly affect everyone in society, I feel like that's pretty. That's kind of right because you're trying to get something to help other people, and like this isn't really helping anyone besides the reporters themselves. They're not taking into account exactly the person's feelings at all. Their husband literally just died, getting yeah. absolutely destroyed by an elevator, like completely crushed. crushed. Yeah, completely crushed. And for her to hear the news from like a news reporter saying they're the captain, like lying to tell them the news just to get a reaction. Just to get her reaction, it's kind of really hard way. It's hard to receive the news either way, but just like in this form, it's really difficult and just kind of doing too much to get a story. Yeah, but sometimes I feel like that. Like once the lie is like used to get the information, like lying is gonna like appear much more often. Like one time I was watching a video interview of uh one of the candidates for mayor, I think it was Tony Preckwinkle, the the interviewer, or the one of the many reporters there uh, said, like, do you believe so-and-so should sit down and shut up? And then Tony Preckwinkle responded, well, no, that's not appropriate, I wouldn't do that, or something of that sort. And then in the article following that video, um, she, like, they quoted Tony Preckwinkle as saying, like, I feel so-and-so should sit down and sh- shut up, which is, like, not what she said. And, like, that, you know, can make her look good, can make her look bad, but so on. But, like, if that's being done, like, that's, like, that's not what she said. That's a lie. So I feel like starting, like, lying to get the information is shouldn't be done because then, like, the information that maybe get maybe received or, like, found out will be, like, either lied about or, like, it will just start a trend of more and more lies. That's And maybe that's why, like, there's such a big problem with, like, fake news, why, like, we blame everything either on fake news or, like, fake news that, like, actually happens, like, it's obviously spreading misinformation and, and, and like, informally educating uh, wrong things to people. Yeah, but people that are part of the media still have the right to inform the public about anything they want. They have the right to write about anything they like, and maybe they might not go about the right, like, ways to receive this information, but, like, we can't try to censor them from writing about an event, and if they want to do it in the best way, they possibly can. Like, that just needs to be examined because there's no laws that they can't do this. Yeah, exactly. So, if they're just trying to get a report out, there's nothing really stopping them at this point. But it's just a tough thing to, like, where to draw the line. Like, you still want to report the information and get, like, good stories out, but you also need to consider individuals in and, and this aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, right after a huge, like, sports loss going on to the person, like, that's part of the yeah. sports guy's job. Like, that's... They're not really going to have to lie about that either, but, like, someone literally just dying in a terrible incident, it's it's going to be tough for them to get a story out of someone like that, and, yeah, it might look good, but you also, there's... You're losing your integrity. I feel like, I feel, I feel like with a reporter, like, the integrity is, like, part of their, like, their reputation, and, like, I feel like that would be the most important thing for someone in that, you know, field of work, so... Yeah, I feel like they shouldn't, like, always sort of just, like, try and, like... It's not always about just digging up dirt or trying to find, like, a huge story. Sometimes you just try and just find facts, and that's all you need. That's all you can do is yeah. let people know what you know, and that's... All right, that's a wrap. Uh, we would like to thank you all for joining the Nerd Herd today.
Join us again for next week's episode about chapters 4 through 7. We would like to finish this episode with closing time by semi-sign, because you know that's a bop. Once again, thank you for listening.